Mark chapter 2 verses 1 through 12 is one of my favorite stories for the sheer ridiculousness of it all. Jesus is at home, and as usual, he's swamped by the crowds. It's interesting to note that the crowds in Mark's gospel always end up being an obstacle to Jesus' prayer life, to his preaching, and in this case, to healing a paralyzed man. Big crowds and large numbers aren't always a good sign of success. But on the outside trying to get in is the paralyzed man, and he's being carried by four of his friends. And when Jesus sees them, he commends not just the paralyzed man, but all of the men for their faith, in the plural. Because in order to get to Jesus, they have to carry this man to Jesus' house, not give up when they see the crowd, carry this guy up to the roof, and then start digging through Jesus' roof to lower the man down on ropes. Now these are the kind of friends we should all strive to be and to have. Friends that have a ridiculous faith to do ridiculous things in order to bring people to Jesus. But oddly enough, Jesus doesn't heal the man. Instead, he forgives him. Now this is no bueno for all the Pharisees and scribes who are standing around because as experts in the Old Testament, they know that nobody can forgive sins but God himself. It would be like me punching you and somebody else forgiving me on your behalf. So Jesus says, starting in verse 9, which is easier? To say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat and walk. But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he told the paralytic, I tell you, get up, take your mat and go home. Immediately he got up, took the mat and went out in front of everyone. As a result, they were all astounded and gave glory to God saying, we have never seen anything like this. Now this helps us to understand why Jesus is doing miracles. It's easy to hear God has forgiven you, but how do you know that for sure? Well, Jesus is able to prove the power of his word by commanding the paralyzed man to walk. Just as God says, let there be light, and there was light, Jesus can say, be healed, and you'll be healed. So when he says, you've been healed of your sin and trespasses against God, we can trust that what he says is reality. Now, after this, Jesus decides it's time to go find some more disciples. And as he's walking around, he comes by Levi and calls him to be a follower. And later that same day, Jesus is having dinner at Levi's house with other tax collectors and all sorts of sinners. The Pharisees, they're a little disturbed at this. And they ask his disciples, why does he eat with sinners and tax collectors? To understand the Pharisees' question and slight disgust of Jesus' practice here, we need to understand how tax collectors were viewed and how people became sinners. Tax collectors weren't just looked down on because they took your hard-earned money. They were considered traitors to the nation of Israel and to God. The tax collectors were working directly with Rome, the current Gentile oppressors who everybody else was ready to overthrow. Think about how you'd be judged if a foreign nation took over America and you decided to work for them and ensure that their soldiers, the ones oppressing you, were being paid. That's Levi and his tax-collecting friends. Now, the general term sinner is a lot more broad. Of course, anyone who sinned could be called a sinner, adulterers, murderers, thieves, and the like. But Pharisees had a very wide category of who they called sinners. The Pharisees followed a very specific interpretation of the law of Moses, and anyone who disagreed with them on even the finest details could be called sinners in their book. You could have a wonderful, upstanding, God-fearing man be called a sinner just because he practiced Sabbath observance a little bit differently. 
And so Jesus responds to the Pharisees in Mark chapter 2, verse 17, telling them it is not those who are well who need a doctor, but those who are sick. I didn't come to call the righteous, but sinners. Jesus is giving us an important lesson on who the gospel is for. It's for a lost and sinful world full of lost and sinful people. It's for people who know that they're sick with sin and that only God can heal them. The Pharisees themselves were sick, but they refused to acknowledge it. They were like Israel in Isaiah chapter 1, full of open wounds but refusing treatment. Levi, the other tax collectors, and all the sinners, though, they chose to get up and follow Jesus. Being a follower of Jesus, a Christian is what we say today, it's not about meeting a moral standard like the Pharisees thought of and claiming to be free from sin. It's a constant and lifelong movement towards God. The Pharisees were perfectly content with their righteousness. Levi and the others, they were pressing on to know Jesus and in turn draw closer to God. All of this is an indication that good things are coming. God is coming back to his sinful people and bringing them around his dinner table as one big happy family. But that's not how the Pharisees saw things. They and John the Baptist's disciples, they were in the habit of fasting, a public display of mourning God's absence from his people. And in Mark chapter 2, verse 18, they ask, We all fast. Why don't you? Jesus says that now is the time for something like a wedding party. Jesus has come with the power to forgive sins and bring people to God's table. So how is it possibly fitting to fast in a time of such incredible joy? And there's no reason not to celebrate today. Jesus is still offering to bring you to God's table, no matter how sinful and lost you are. All you have to do is get up and start following Jesus. Jesus.